Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Yo, girl, what's going on? Oh, you know, just living the dream. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat, so I fully expect to have a full-blown cold a little bit later this week. Well, it doesn't help that our nasty-ass son just had a bad cold, and now he's gotten us all sick. And... You know Although everybody else sick. will get sick from him because he's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> he took like four or five tissues in the car on the way to baseball oh practice. Gosh. They were like all over the car. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm in a confined space with our teenage son who's disgusting. <laughs> That's going to work out really well for me. Well, he's coughing up a lung this morning and I look over at him and he's drinking from my water cup. I'm like, why? <laughs> oh, I forgot. And then, and then his sister, like as we were leaving, um, Reese is like, hey, Cam, did you drink out of my cup too? And he's like, why does she care? It's like, because you're sick. I know. He's like, no, I already said no. And he's, uh, I'm like, you don't have to get mad. I mean, I don't really trust you because you have no idea what you're doing. My head had the vision that he did drink from that cup. I'm sure he did. So I was just like, just wash it either way. It's better safe than sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you're not going to not get sick from anything. But So that'll be fun when it yeah. goes through the whole house. Yeah. yeah I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, you and uh, Reese just made some delicious cookies I had right before this yes we did oh, they're peanut butter chocolate chip oh peanut butter chocolate is like my favorite thing in the whole wide world they're really good yeah so i i, I don't know can you post yeah the we'll post the recipe um and you roll the dough in the sugar and then you press your fork in the top both ways and they're nice and like uh, not crispy but like flaky almost, almost like a little crumbly maybe yeah yeah and they were rated well but oh. I will warn you, if you are going to make the recipe, and I do suggest that you do because everyone around you will love them, unless they have a peanut allergy or gluten allergy, um, but make the dough. You have to chill it for an hour. I didn't realize that, and I was like getting all ready to preheat my oven, and I was like, oh. Uh, worth it because they're like definitely store worthy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're really good. Yeah. I mean, they've got a crap ton of peanut butter, crap ton of butter. Anytime you got a crap ton of peanut butter, butter, any kind of butter, you're usually doing pretty good. It couldn't be bad, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and also you've been starting to watch uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. I know it's not even Halloween. Uh, I don't know if you guys are as into Christmas as we are, but we are Christmas-aholics. We are, and I am a Hallmark-aholic because I was telling one of my patients at the hospital, I'm like, well, let's see. My life is basically immersed in either true crime or sick people with the hospitals. So both sides are pretty depressing. Yeah. So, you know, I got to have that elevated pick me up. Yeah, it's nice. Um, You know, we're not huge churchgoers or anything, but um, it's nice to have that holiday season where everybody kind of comes together and you're celebrating each other and can give gifts and stuff. Yeah, it's a feel good time. Yeah. So you're already watching you. You have this thing with, uh, you know, your friend at work. You guys have the calendar printed out. It's the countdown to Christmas. (laughs) It's called the countdown to Christmas. And they come in like, okay, what did you watch this weekend? Oh, heck yeah. Huge nerds. Huge Huge nerds. nerds. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's okay. Um, I, I wrote down a couple things i wanted to talk about um my legs are sore i had oh good because we're sleeping already uh, yeah you guys okay but is that exciting <laughs> um i i did my leg workout I, I haven't worked out in like two weeks because i hurt my shoulder so i decided to do legs this week and uh, i could i haven't been able to walk for like five days no you haven't so it's been i feel like a geriatric no offense to the geriatrics out there you're doing a fine job but man alive uh today i still feel it i almost fell like my knee almost gave out yeah it's not fun i always say i have to use the handicap stall at work so that i use the bar to like lower myself down because it hurts so bad yeah same thing it's not pleasant oh and getting into cars i I, you know as everybody knows i'm cheap so i bought a hyundai elantra for myself it's a compact car and it's small it's (laughs) and i'm 6'2 200 something pounds and uh yeah it's hard to get in and out of that thing yeah i'll drop something on the ground when i'm really sore and i look at it i'm like no that's just staying there (laughs) that's a new spot for it that's where it's living (laughs) i'm not bending over to get it yeah that's that's certainly not happening (laughs) 
Um, we want to say, hey, thanks for like leaving reviews and stuff. And uh, there is uh, one person that left a review and said, I hope Mike's read Mike reads my review. So I'm going to do it because I'm a sucker. Um, she said, <laughs> I'm a sucker for you. He or she said, I hate this podcast. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Because Allison will make you cry on occasion. Aww. She can tell the hard work she puts in her podcast. They respect the victims, make sure their story is told. Also, their banter is funny. You can definitely tell they love each other. Oh, that's good. I, yeah, I do love you still. Yeah, I like you a lot. You kind of want to like check in once a week. Do you like me still? I like I, you. I like you. Okay, good. Even though you were being rude before we started recording. Yeah, well, that's because somebody... Oh, I'm not allowed to say you're on your period. But what can I say? <laughs> what, what am I allowed to say? I was ranting and raving in the kitchen. <laughs> and you were just looking at me. And I was just like, just smiling. I was like, and also, <laughs> this, 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 and this. And then, this, 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 and this. Well, because you plan everything. And the podcast has to be done before somebody comes to pick up one of our kids and something's happening. I'm like, I got to start getting up at three o'clock in the morning at this point. (laughs) You're like, either somebody's texting me or somebody's doing this or somebody needs me. And I was like, okay. You know, sometimes you just need to go on a rager. Yeah, and just blow off some steam. I I took 10 seconds. I blew it off and now I feel better. And I'm glad I still followed the rules of not saying that you were on your period. Well, you did and you just did again. No, I said I didn't say it. You just said it. No, I said I didn't say that you're on your period. <laughs> you're such an ass. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I'm like, I know oh, what I'm going to say. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is the burden I've chose to put up with for the rest of my life. All right. Let's uh, stop talking about ourselves here. And, I know. Uh, seriously, people it, are going to be talking about me, really, is what it is. My legs are sore. Yeah. So are you ready? Yeah, ready. All right. Let's get on with this. So this is the murder of Morgan Fox. So Morgan Fox was a 29-year-old woman. She had been living with her boyfriend, who was Jason Skarnekia. They lived in Plain Township, Ohio, and they had just been living together for about a year at this point. So Morgan was said to be a generous soul. She was very giving. She had a love of animals and her family. Her eight-year-old daughter, Amelia, was truly the center of her world. The two of them were inseparable. They did everything together. And that made me think of our daughter because the two of us do everything together. Besties. So she was one of 13 children. Oh, that's fun. So parents, Cindy and Robert, I don't know how you have 13 kids. I I truly don't know how it's done because I have two and I'm dropping the ball every time I turn around. Not so. to mention, it takes, you know, about nine months to make each kid. Oof, so, I mean, man. she's been pregnant for 20, 20, probably 25 years, like in a row, basically. Because, you know, you might miss a couple months in between. Yeah, maybe. And then you're breastfeeding if you're not. Right. So, wow. So, it was a rainy morning and it was Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. And Mike and I are actually recording this one day early. So, this just so happened to be three years ago today, this happened. So, Jason's alarm went off as it normally did. It was 6 a.m. and he made his way downstairs to the kitchen to get his breakfast ready. And as he was milling about and getting things, he glanced out the window. He was immediately confused and concerned because he saw Morgan's car outside. And normally, Morgan's typical routine was to wake up at 1 a.m. Wow. We wow. thought you were early. I know. This is like really the night shift, I guess you could say. So she would leave the house no later than 2.15 a.m. in order to be at her desk ready to start her shift at 3 a.m. So she worked as an operations manager for FedEx. So since she wasn't in bed, he hadn't seen her around the house as he was coming downstairs. He threw on a coat and went outside to investigate why her car was there. 
So as he approached Morgan's car, he noticed that the driver's side door was wide open. And as he got closer, he noticed in horror that Morgan's body was slumped over the seat. Mm -hmm. She was perfectly still and she was covered in blood that was already starting to dry. Her cell phone was on the ground near her car. Jason immediately called 911 and told the dispatcher that he found his girlfriend outside and he believed that she was dead. I mean, that's just absolutely horrible. It's like midweek, a typical work week. This is not what you expect to see. Well, the number one nightmare is what we talked about, I think, last week, where you wake up to somebody in your bedroom, and then number two is finding somebody you love. Oh, my gosh. So when officers arrived, it was confirmed that Morgan was deceased, and she appeared to be the victim of just a random shooting. So a neighbor noticed the commotion going on at the house, and she knew Morgan's mom, Cindy, so she called her to say, hey, something's going on at your daughter's house. And I'm sorry, like, did they live in a city? No, they lived in a town of uh, Ohio. Ohio. So they were in the suburbs. suburbs, Yeah. So Cindy, of course, rushed over to Morgan's house. And as she's driving over, she is trying to think maybe it's just some freak thing that happened. And she was hoping for the best. But as she pulled up, she she knew it wasn't going to be good. There were police all over and there was crime scene tape taped around where her house was. And that's the last thing you want to see. So as she got out of her car, she quickly learned the devastating news that her daughter had been murdered. So homicide detectives quickly determined that Morgan had been shot twice in the head. And based on her body positioning, it was clear that so her feet were still outside the car. So it was clear that she was literally just opening her car door and climbing in to just get in her car to go to work. So she hadn't even gotten fully into the car yet when she was ambushed. So the previous evening, Morgan dropped Amelia off at her mom's house. This was the last time Cindy would ever see her daughter alive. So Cindy said that, you know, she was in fantastic spirits. So because Morgan had to get up so early for work, Cindy often helped them out because Jason was also leaving early for work. So this way, Cindy would have Amelia and could get her off to school. So important to have that family help. So as Cindy processed this absolutely horrific, you know, the news of what would had happened to her daughter, she pulled out or she pulled one of the detectives aside and advised him to consider one of Morgan's coworkers as a potential suspect. Mm. So she said that a man named Jason McDermott had been fixated on fixated. Yeah, that sounds weird to my ears. Nope. On her daughter, which had caused Morgan to feel very uneasy and uncomfortable at work. So this had been going on. There had been issues happening before this horrific event of Morgan getting killed. So as the crime scene was being processed, 29-year-old McDermott was at work. He actually had clocked in for his shift, same as Morgan would have. So he worked at FedEx, too. He clocked in at 2.59 a.m. His coworkers later reported that he had come into work that morning in an especially chipper mood. Mm. He glanced over at Morgan's empty workspace often, but showed no outward concern for her absence. While detectives spoke with him later in the day, he seemed to be genuinely grieving the loss of his friend and coworker. His parents later said that he wept almost to the point of hysteria when he was talking about the loss of Morgan. Hmm. So he told investigators that he and Morgan were great friends. They were on wonderful terms. 
He said that he came into work at three. He stayed on site throughout his shift, which ended at 10 a.m. And I guess that's the the good thing about working at three in the morning is you're done for the day at 10. But Sure, but you're working all night. Yeah. So when he left, he went to a local gas station slash eatery. And then there, while he was getting some food, he also washed his car. He told, you know, the detectives what the name of the place was. So, of course, they went there. They looked at the surveillance video from the time that he mentioned he was there. It proved to be true. So on review of the footage, police watched as McDermott carefully washed his back tire wells. And one of the um, references, I resources or sources, I should say, they said it was the front tires. Either way, he was sp- pe- spending additional time on the tires. So he was cleaning them a second time over. And police were aware that the car ha- that had fled the scene of the, the crime had gone quickly. And I mentioned it was a rainy morning, so the ground was saturated. And you could see on the fence near where the tire markings were, there was a bunch of mud spatter. So whoever did this to Morgan left in a hurry. So they found it interesting that he was, you know, especially cleaning his tires. So they took DNA or DNA samples from McDermott, and then they basically just left. They didn't have any reason to keep him. They obtained ring doorbell footage from various neighbors. It didn't prove to be helpful in that regard. On speaking with coworkers of Morgan and McDermott, investigators learned that what he had said was not exactly true. They had been close friends, but that was absolutely not the case at the time of Morgan's murder. So what happened? I can't wait to hear. So on October 8th, which was just 20 days earlier, Morgan's cell phone suddenly disappeared at work. She was told that McDermott and two of his friends had taken it. When she tracked them down, she demanded that they give it back to her. He handed the phone over, but before he did, he uploaded all of her personal photos, her videos and apps to his own device. Holy cow. I, I can't mean, even... what a friggin' breach of privacy. I can't even imagine how you would do that. Like, he had to have some technical knowledge. He probably was. Man. So he also had the gall to share some of these photos, many of which were intimate in nature and not meant for an outsider's eyes. And I, there's something about somebody crossing that line of privacy. Oh, 100%. That's not even like, <laughs> it's not even crossing a line. That's like destroying the line. <laughs> that's like burning it. That's Especially crazy. at work. I yeah. mean, you set your phone down and you expect it to be back in that spot when you come back to your desk. I mean, that's the equivalent of taking like a wallet or a purse or like any personal problem. Even worse to me because worse, again, yeah. there were intimate photos on there that yeah. she didn't think anyone was able to see. And this ass is sharing them with her coworkers. Man, that that's it. I think that's a breaking the law of some, I some would kind. assume so. Yeah. So Morgan was obviously infuriated by this betrayal of friendship and trust and she completely ended their friendship after this. Well, once the cops hear about this. So she cut off all ties with him after this event. And she reported him and the others involved to her supervisor. And she was they were starting to look into this case, which was a vi- she was a victim of harassment at work. Because yeah. I know when you're at work, it's a very sensitive situation. Like you need to be safe at work. You shouldn't be a subjected to harassment when you're trying to do your job and then it's also once you tell work then they're responsible Mm -hmm. for it now it's the ball is in their hands and this is fedex this is a huge company so this was all going on you know just weeks before not even three weeks so obviously this is a a pretty big piece of information for police. So the environment had gotten so toxic at work that Morgan even voiced 
you know, the idea of just leaving that job because she didn't want to deal with it. You know, it's like work is hard enough. You don't want to deal with this nonsense when you're going in. So McDermott apologized profusely for his role in in the incident, but there was really no rebuilding the friendship after this. It it was done. Like, that's not enough. Like, they should have fired him or something. That's crazy. That they should have fired him like on the spot. Absolutely. As, as long as they found the proof that it was true. Yeah. I mean, why he was still there, I, I don't know. Yeah, nice job, FedEx. So Morgan blocked him from all of her social media platforms. And instead of, of course, the kind of guy he is, instead of respecting her boundaries and her stance, McDermott continued to relentlessly bother her in the following weeks, calling her, texting her dozens of times a day. So we're talking like a narcissist kind of guy. Just like, oh, you don't tell me what to do. Right. I'm I'm not going to respect your wishes. Ugh, Ugh, can't stand people like this. The worst. So the last communication between them happened on October 24th, which was four days before Morgan was murdered. Normally, she would never, ever have given him the satisfaction of responding, but she was so taken aback by what he had texted her. She was actually concerned for her own safety. So she had been out of town for a couple of days, and this was something she had not told anyone in his realm of people that he would be talking with. So she went away to Columbus, Ohio, and she received a text from him asking, how's Columbus? Oh, so basically seeing I know where you go. Well, what concerned me was he basically took all of the data on her phone. Did he somehow clone it? Yeah, so I that mean, he could actually track where she was. You probably clone the SIM and then you know the SIM and then have a a, a phone that is you know like almost like mirroring like hers. hers. Yeah. If he's, especially if he's really technical, right. I can never. I'm, I'm pretty technical. I could never do that. Right so now. the question was, how did he know she was in Columbus? So she was very rattled oh, by he, this. He probably installed the software, or something. some some sort of yeah. tracking system. So she was feeling rattled and Morgan responded because, again, she would never have responded otherwise. But she asked him, how do you know that I'm here? And that's just making him it probably made him so happy to get that text. She never got a response from him. Of course not. Oh, God, poor girl. So this was just the weekend before she was killed. So after the falling out between McDermott and Morgan, fellow FedEx employees noticed a change in him. He normally was kind of an upbeat, chipper kind of guy. And after their falling out, his demeanor quickly crumbled. Uh, He was very grumpy, sullen. He paid little attention to his personal appearance, um, just kind of unkempt in nature. It was clear that he was showing his emotions on the outside by the by the falling out between him and Morgan. So he appeared to be very depressed. He told many people that he was having trouble sleeping. He could barely stomach to eat. Oddly enough, on the morning of October 28th, where he reported into work at 3 a.m., in the meantime, Morgan was climbing into her car around 2-ish and was ambushed and killed. He suddenly walks into FedEx... As if a cloud had been lifted from him, he was back to his old self. Really interesting timing. So co-workers who had yet to hear the terrible news, because of course, as they're starting their shift that early, nobody knows because her boyfriend didn't find her until after six, somewhere around 630-ish. So nobody knows at that point, but they noticed that he seemed different. So um, they even commented, wow, you know, McDermott, Jason, whatever they're calling him, you seem like you're doing great. Yeah. It was noticeable. Somebody's in a good mood. Yeah. Very noticeable. And he told them that, you know, Morgan and I, we resolved our differences. Oh, you sure did. So he said that after having a conversation, they agreed that the cell phone fiasco had just been a terrible misunderstanding. I mean, is he that stupid? He's delusional. (laughs) 
truly, I truly mean, delusional. We had a conversation. In, in other words, I shot her in her car, and now it's no longer a problem. So, and you will understand the extent of his delusions when I say this next line. He said that they were in such a great place, they even considered the idea of moving in together. Oh, wow. I mean, that's fantasy land, because no, she is in a long-term committed relationship with her boyfriend, Jason, and that's not happening. So no one took these ridiculous claims seriously, but his coworkers were relieved to see that he seemed to be coming out of his funk. Well, sure. It's just better to be working with somebody who's in a better mood. A hundred percent. So they knew him as the type of person who tended to stretch the truth. Like that's just the kind of guy he was. If he said he had seven beers. Oh yeah. I chugged seven beers. He probably had two, right. you know, one of those guys. So an employee named Mary, whom McDermott had trained, later told detectives that all he could manage to speak about was Morgan. Because, of course, she's shadowing this guy getting trained. I'm sure she's like, oh, my gosh. When is this training session ending? He sounds super annoying, in addition to being a psychopath. Oh, just going on and on about somebody that he's not even with. He would often pull out his phone, pull up pictures of her and her daughter, and brag about them as if... They were his family. What a weirdo. So, of course, this Mar- this woman, Mary, is like, oh, boy, this guy's like out, out to lunch. <laughs> no kidding. So, Mary eventually learned the situation that Morgan had a live-in boyfriend and was not interested in dating anyone else. So, Mary was kind of growing tired of the constant talk. And Good she finally her. told him, you need to get over her and find someone else that's going to return your affection. Not somebody that has a child in, in a relationship with somebody else and lives in a house. Like not, move along. She's not a part of your life as far as she's concerned. So, so <laughs> you find know, somebody. Her words were wasted, though. She said that he quickly steered the conversation back to the relationship that only existed in his mind. Yeah. So friends of Morgan's began to plan a candlelight vigil on the day after her murder. And McDermott had been known to insert himself into situations where he wasn't invited. He wasn't welcome. So, of course, he's stepping in to help with the planning of this candlelight vigil. So a co-worker named Mickey went to the store to get supplies for the vigil he came along with. And she said she would never forget the disturbing conversation she had with him as they ran their errands. While they walked through the aisles of a store, he told Mickey in graphic detail about a sexual encounter that he claimed to have had with Morgan. And Mickey did not believe the story as he's saying it, but she was especially bothered when he ended it by saying that he planned to masturbate to the memory. Oh, my God. That is so inappropriate. Well, I mean, sharing sexual things with people at work probably is inappropriate, too. But The whole thing is inappropriate, but this girl was just found murdered, and you're talking about that? Yeah, what nasty. the hell is wrong with you? Well, lots. So on the evening of the vigil, Cindy was unaware that this was happening because it was really just amongst the co-workers. So of course, Cindy is Morgan's mom. She was bringing Amelia back to Morgan's house so that she could get some of her things. And as she's pulling up, she noticed a group of strangers congregating on the lawn. So, you know, she has just lost her daughter. She's got her granddaughter who just lost her mother. She's ushering her into the house. She doesn't want to have to deal with anything. So they basically just grabbed a few of Amelia's things and then just rushed outside, got in Cindy's car to leave. 
Just as Amelia began to close the passenger side door, McDermott swooped in and handed her a teddy bear. And before she could even say a word, thank him, whatever, he told her that the gift was so that she would never forget him. And I don't know you know how well amelia knew mcdermott but i, I could see it minimally yeah and you could just see him being the, like this creep and then you're worried like is there a tracker in there or something mm-hmm. so cindy repeatedly told him move away from my car but you know he stood by he did not of course respect her boundaries either no. and told amelia that she was just as beautiful as her mom so a coworker named Mark could see that this was becoming a very tense and uncomfortable situation. So he stepped in and told them, hey, man, just leave them alone. When he looked up and McDermott looked up, he could see that everyone was looking at him. But, you know, he lacked any sort of impulse control. So he continued to hold the door open and refused to close it until Cindy agreed to give him her phone number. Weird. It's like you are so inappropriate in every sense of the way. Man, doesn't care about anything else, just what he wants. What's on his agenda. Yeah. So police continued to work day and night to find Morgan's killer because, of course, they needed to find solid evidence. So they poured over traffic camera footage, and they spotted a blue Ford Focus with a noticeable bend in the license plate that was driving in the direction of Morgan's house at 1.28 a.m. on the day of her murder. In the house next door to where Jason and Morgan lived, detectives again found those tire impressions on the damp ground as well as the mud splatter. Uh, The tire impressions were consistent with those from a Ford Focus. And this just so happened to be the make and the model that McDermott happened to drive. Okay. I mean, that's closer, but not not a lot yet. Because of the traffic cam and tire impression findings, police obtained a search warrant for McDermott's car. Really? Yes. Man, they must have gotten like the actual track, like the the tread. Well, and they could see the blue Ford Focus in the traffic cam in the area of her house. At the time, he would have come by and done what he did. So they brought in a canine officer trained to detect the presence of explosive devices. And the dog alerted to the driver's seat and the surrounding floorboards in front of the driver's seat. How random that they would bring a yeah, explosion dog in. So what this would suggest was that recently a, dis- a firearm was discharged oh, okay. from that spot. So it showed that there was some a gun was fired in okay. his car. So on October 30th, with a cert- with a search warrant, police searched the gun safe that McDermott's father owned and found several guns that were capable of firing a 22 caliber bullet, which was what was used to kill Morgan. After extensive testing, all but one weapon was eliminated. However, it couldn't be definitively determined that this was the gun used. It also could not be ruled out. So interestingly enough, police did learn that McDermott had gone to his parents' house the day before the shooting. He again returned the day after. He used his visit to his parents' house to say that he was going to drop off a birthday present for his mom. However, his mom's birthday was three months earlier. So... Just very uncanny timing. Yeah. So detectives suspected that it was then that he removed the gun and then came back the next day to put it back before his dad could realize that it was actually missing. Wow. So... What as a, a scumbag. 
As a detective spoke with McDermott, he mentioned that his car's black box indicated that he had been in Morgan's neighborhood at the time of her murder. This was not true. This was he was oh, just. Oh, I was like, I, I didn't know about these black boxes. He was using a ruse to see what he could get him to say. Wow. So he began to scramble to come up with various explanations. No one else knew, but he had left his cell phone at his apartment to make sure that his movements wouldn't be tracked that day. So they couldn't say that he was there. You know what's interesting? Uh, so you know, me being a technical person, I just took that as a fact, being like, whoa, they do that? Because every single car has electronics in it. Mm-hmm. And every single car is tracking everybody. Mm-hmm. Anything that has like an OnStar, there's always something tracking you, even if you don't have the subscription. Because right. that, you know, that information is being sent back to the car dealers. So, like, he's a technical guy, you know, similar to me, and he probably believed it right he away. He did believe it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Good job by that cop. So, he started to do damage control. He was coming up with, like, all these theories of how it could have happened, and he's talking to co-workers that he's viewing as friends. He wondered if somebody had stolen his car keys and taken his car to Morgan's house, shot her, put everything back into his apartment as he left it, and then he got up to go to work, and his car was just there. And he's still going with the story. So, yeah. Yeah, he's sticking to the fact that, you know, maybe somebody had taken my car and I just didn't know. So one day after the vigil, which was October 31st, Cindy went back to her daughter's home to get the rest of Amelia's things. When she got there, there's McDermott again. Oh, God, that guy needs to be put away. And he's there with another man. And they were kind of loitering near Morgan's car that had already been processed. The police had released it back to the family. So when she's confronting him, like, why are you at my daughter's house? McDermott explained that his friend had been unable to attend the vigil. He wanted to come by to pay his respects. And who's his friend? Some, um, they didn't even say. Oh, some FedEx And who knows? He may have been just using this guy as a ruse. Like, come on, you didn't get to pay your respects. Let's go. Pick him up at Home Depot and pay him five bucks to hang out with you. So Cindy did not believe anything that she was being told from him, but she felt like he just seemed to be there looking for something like yeah, very, like, you know, you get looking those around just kind of like, like suspicious vibes. You're like, you're up to no good. Yeah. Well, that's the feeling she got. And she already knew what he had done to her daughter in the weeks before she was murdered. So just like doing everything she can not to strangle the guy. Right. So to rule out all suspects, detectives did cha- uh, test, excuse me, Jason Skarnakia's hands. This is her boyfriend, boyfriend, Morgan's boyfriend, as well as his clothing for any kind of gunshot residue after Morgan um, or after he had called 911 to report that he found Morgan deceased. There was no indication that he had fired a gun. They also reviewed Morgan's cell phone history. The texts between her and Jason were obviously very good. They were on great terms in the relationship. So there was no reason to believe that Jason had anything to do with Morgan's death. Good. So McDermott willingly handed his cell phone over to investigators, but not before doing damage control and deleting a lot of its contents. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can't trust this guy. And it's, you're going to see the date of where everything's like missing. Right. And he didn't realize, though, that forensic experts could retrieve all the information he deleted. Absolutely. The only way to get rid of it is burning it. And even then, stuff gets uploaded to the cloud. Right. So, I mean, anything that you catch anywhere is, is trackable. So, like you said, though, he is a techie guy, but not quite there in yeah. terms of what other people are capable of retrieving. Right. So, detectives were shocked to see the number of pictures and videos that he had collected of Morgan since their friendship started. More than 70 photos show that Morgan, and when I say more than 70, this is just of Morgan without her knowledge that these photos were being taken. I'm sure he had a crap ton more. But a lot of the images had been zoomed in to focus on her chest and backside when she was clearly not aware that he was taking a photo. Again, 
again, so just wrong. Like you're walking around work in a professional manner and some jackass has taken a photo of your butts. Major league creeper vibes. Just a major creeper. So he had also video recorded us in secret a conversation that the two of them shared while he was at her house in her kitchen. Mm. So he like just turned on his recording device so that he could uh, listen to their conversation. Probably touch himself later. Ugh. Gross. So it was very clear to detectives that he was obsessed with Morgan. 100%. Big time. Yep. So they were also able to retrieve a Skype conversation that he had with an anonymous person. And when he had this conversation with this person, he was posing as a woman involved in a lesbian relationship and repeated the story that he had repeated to his coworker, Mickey, that whole inappropriate thing about the relationship he had. So he redid this whole story that he concocted in his head to just some some anonymous person online. So it was very obvious that as their friendship fell apart from the cell phone incident, that he could not cope with the fact that she had cut him out of her life. Yeah, he just stayed obsessed. He was just probably even more so. Yeah, because he couldn't have her. Yes. Whereas at least before she was in his life. Yeah, he can talk himself into like, oh, it's going well. Mm -hmm. Soon enough, we're going to date. Right. So on November 1st, which was four days after Morgan was murdered, McDermott posted a tribute to her on his social media page. And the message was written to Foxy because her name, last name is Fox. And it read, I wish I had time to list all the ways you have impacted my life, but the list would be so long we would never make it to the end. You were the friend where if I was having a bad day, I knew I could always come and talk to you. It's so strange not having you around to talk to, and this has left a giant hole in my heart. And then he finally concluded, I guess he just rambled on and on in circles in this like disturbing post. We've all seen those Facebook posts where it's just like, oh boy, I'm not reading any of this crap. Man. So after rambling in circles, he ended it. But I know you will always be watching over us, your family, your friends, and your daughter. You will never be forgotten. And then three days after this post, he got arrested on November 4th while he was at his parents' house and he was charged with Morgan's murder. On December 17th, he was indicted for aggravated murder with a firearm and stalking. After entering a not guilty plea, he was held on a $2 million bond. And then the trial began on April 2nd, 2021. It lasted six days. Uh, McDermott's father actually testified. He said that he was the only person that had the key to the gun safe. Okay. Maybe he kept it in a drawer. I don't know what the circumstances were around that. He also claimed that his son had undergone wrist surgery and would have made it nearly impossible to fire a gun. But apparently at his FedEx job, there was some lifting involved and he was capable of continuing his job. Not to mention, he's not a doctor. Right. Like, <laughs> you, like you have uh, no idea. You're not a specialist He could here. pull a trigger on a gun. Yeah, you can pull him with a bunch of different fingers or mm-hmm. the other hand. I mean, it's it's a lot of different ways. Right. So Morgan's boyfriend, Jason, took the stand and recounted the horrible moment when he found his girlfriend's body and felt worse that he hadn't been woken to the sound of the gunshots. Like he almost felt like I, I could have been there. I could yeah. have helped her somehow. It's natural. You know, and, and that's just sad that he's putting some blame on, on himself because it's certainly not his fault. Of course. And neighbors also testify or spoke out that they had not heard a thing. So this made detectives think that it's possible he had maybe even made some sort of makeshift silencer. Something had been used to quiet it down because you would Pillow think or something. something that people would have heard it was rainy it was in the middle of the night Ah, so 
So after three hours of deliberation, McDermott was found guilty of murder on April 14th, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I look forward to hearing how he's getting out of jail soon. This is just what I'm assuming based on every single story that we tell. He he actually doesn't. He did try to make some appeals, but that didn't work. Good. So during the victim impact statements, Morgan's daughter actually got up to to speak. Amelia? Yeah, Amelia. And by this time, she was 10. And that just made me realize, like, gosh, what a brave little girl. Girl, yeah, poor baby. to stand up in front of a group of people and address the person that took her mother's life away. Huge, I mean, huge fortitude. Oh, there. I mean, that's really impressive. So she spoke with emotion in a trembling voice and asked him, "Why did you take my mommy from me?" Oh, Isn't that man. just so sad? That's like just picturing a little girl that should never have this happen. No, like, if you have kids or nieces or nephews like you just want the best for them you want them to laugh and sing and you're you know christmas time you want to buy them a toy that's gonna make them happy yep you don't want them taking the stand and looking in some scumbag's face that took away their mother because he's like hot on her like some kind of weirdo scumbag and it's she so said and amelia uh, you're awesome she said i wish she could see me graduate from high school i wish she could see me get married And he never showed an ounce of remorse throughout anything. And even at this point, he could only manage to look to the ground and shake his head. And Amelia ended with, I thought monsters weren't real, but you proved me wrong. So Jason remains in a medium security Ohio prison. He maintains his innocence and he has made appeals. They have all been denied. And to honor Morgan's name and help others, Morgan's um, survivors, her loved ones, founded the Morgan Ashley Fox Foundation. This was founded in 2022. It helps others that have been to have lost somebody that they love to violence. So because Morgan's concerns that, you know, of what was going on at work with this whole cell phone fiasco, they were brought to HR and they seem to be brushed aside and yeah. not much was happening because that happened on October 8th and she was murdered 20 days later. Man, there should be some responsibility a little bit. I mean, you know, obviously there's stuff that goes on like this all the time and nobody ends up dead. Right. You know, and it's but. not even necessarily, nobody could have said that she was going to be shot in her driveway. Sure. But why was she still forced to work in a confined environment with this person who had taken her cell phone, uploaded her photos, and then had the goal to share them with her co-workers yeah why was he still there three weeks later yeah if you're not going to fire him at least put him in a different area right like. so her family felt that she wasn't protected while she was at work so in february of 2023 fedex did settle a civil suit brought against them by morgan's family the case focused on the fact that the company failed to protect morgan from a co-worker who had made her work an environment it, it was a living hell for her to go into work every single day. Yeah. And obviously she needs the money you know, because she's working midnight shift, you know, and sure. you, nobody wants to do that unless they need to. So it, it, it's like she's every single day at 1 a.m. Like, I'm going to go see this guy who's obsessed with me, who I absolutely hate, who pretty much ruined my life by sharing everything on my phone. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately now she can't think that anymore because he took her life like a low life piece of crap. And again, it's not that they could have known that that was going to happen, but the fact that she had to show up every day and and be in the space that he shared with her. Because it's easier just to make some profits and then not worry about the people that are working for you. Well, FedEx had agreed to a $4 million settlement. Big deal. FedEx is worth billions. Exactly. $4 million is absolutely nothing. It's pocket change to them. So half was put into a trust for Amelia, who will never have her mom watch her graduate or walk down the aisle and get married. 
So Morgan was loving. She was dedicated. She was a wonderful mother who put Amelia at the center of her world. She was a champion of those less fortunate, and her life was taken away far too soon by a person that she had befriended and shown nothing but kindness to. Like that FedEx location should be funding all sorts of different, you know, women's projects and things. Also, not just, you know, for the family, but anybody who might be in the situation, like you said, the foundation. Right. They should be making healthy donations every single year. Agreed. 100% I agree with that. And that is the sad story of the murder of Morgan Fox. Yeah, that is sad. And especially Amelia, man. Like, I don't don't know if she wrote that for herself or whatever, but those are some very, very powerful words. Totally. I mean, just to say those, whether she wrote them or not. Well, I'm sure she did. It's like, what... What does a daughter want more than their mother? Well, if she wrote that, then that's so powerful. I mean, that is incredible. Straight writing. from the heart, though. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, again, I say that our daughter, my daughter and I are so close. She is my daughter, too. That's true. <laughs> she is. That's true. <laughs> I'm talking to the listeners. Right. And my mom and I, you know, when we they moved to Florida, we were in Illinois. I was 20-something years old, and I would cry because I missed her. That's mainly the reason we moved to Florida from Illinois. True. So, yeah. you know, I, I feel so, so much for her daughter and her her mother and their whole family. Anyone who loved Morgan, it's just a tragic, horrible story. And hopefully McDermott never sees the light of day ever, ever, ever and gets solitary confinement and the worst possible treatment in his prison. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we can all agree on that. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. And if you like anything that we do, there's an opportunity to hear even more episodes and support this little mom and pop podcast. That's true. As a matter of fact, it's called Patreon. So if you go ahead and take a look at our show notes, you can go, uh, you know, see, throw us uh, five shekels, 10 shekels, you know, maybe more. Who knows? But, um, you know, you can always just do it and then cancel it later. Go listen to some more episodes, whatever Test you need. Test us out. Here's yeah. some bonus content. If you're running out, we appreciate any bit that yep. you guys can do to help. And we want to say welcome to the latest members of the crime and coffee couple club including monique alicia jesse courtney veridiana and laura that's so, awesome uh, veridiana if you can let me know if i said your name right because i think i may have and if i did i'm very proud of myself very beautiful names beautiful beautiful and all of them again we appreciate you guys so much and if you want to help us out by leaving a five-star review anything you can do to help is just so appreciated we don't take it for granted at all and until next time bye, bye.